Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. March is in the books, ladies and gentlemen. Well, not quite, but who knows by the time you're listening to this, it might be. But right now, it's Sunday morning, March 29th, 2015. I'm Larry H. Russell. This is Celtics Beat, brought to you by Peak Organic Brewing Company and Lynda.com. A little later in the show, our guest, Adam Himmelsbach, new Celtics Beat reporter for the Boston Globe, who's been doing a great, great job on the beat these last few weeks since making the jump up here. Really doing the fans and the Globe readers a great service with his work. I know he had a great piece with Danny Ainge following the trade deadline acquisition of Isaiah Thomas. You can check out along with the rest of his work, either in the Globe every day, or if you don't live in the area, the Globe's website. And you can also hang tight on us a bit. We'll be joining us here on Celtics Beach shortly. But first, yes, let's talk about March now that we are days away from its completion. That crazy month of March that we were talking about in the lead up to this month and that we've been discussing about ad nauseum on this show this whole month. Oh, geez, every week. Well, we're on the verge of wrapping up. Is that a good thing? Because all in all, it's been a pretty successful month despite the team maybe chugging a little bit to the finish line here, but here we are on this final Sunday in March. The Boston Celtics do sit in the Eastern Conference's eighth and final playoff position, but are those signs there? What I've been talking about on this show for weeks on end, is this team starting to slow down a little bit? Could fatigue be settling in here? I thought Brad Stevens may have been hinting at that a little bit following Wednesday's loss when he had a very interesting comment during the postgame. Which, remember, you can log on to youtube.com slash CLNS Radio for all those raw, uncut videos from the locker room. That's youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. What did he say following that loss? I'm going to tease you a little bit because we're going to have to wait. I'm going to get into it when we talk about Wednesday's game in a few moments. But let's go all the way back here to Sunday. The first real bad home loss for this team in a real long time. Actually, you got to go all the way back 
to a game they lost the day after Christmas to the Brooklyn Nets, where they lost a game where you just said, wow, that was definitely a game that they should have won in Boston. They had that game against Detroit won about 10 different times. We all kind of saw a game like that coming, however. It seemed like that they were due for one of those. The Celtics have had some games where they played with some fire at home, like the Orlando game, but they pulled that one out. Wasn't the case back there on Sunday. Tried pulling this one out of their behind again, but they let Detroit hang around. Had some key defensive lapses down the stretch, obviously leaving Tayshaun Prince open for that three-pointer. Not getting that one last stop after that big Jay Crowder ran one. They gave up the, the, just the play to Reggie Jackson there. And then eventually, of course, they got blitz in overtime. And that one, it, it seemed like it stung a little bit. However, that wasn't the hardest one to take this week. At, be it as an observer or as a fan, the hardest one, obviously, was that flat effort Wednesday night at home against Miami because, as stated, it had been forever since the team suffered a bad home loss. But then it dropped two in a row at home to two sub-500 teams, let alone that skeleton roster that Miami had out there Wednesday night. It's one of the few instances this season where the team has come out flat. you got to go back to the Houston game earlier in the season, Cleveland a few weeks ago. But hey, those, I mean, those are two good teams on the road. Coming out like that at home with a playoff atmosphere, with the fans behind your, your back, I think that was tough for anyone associated with the team, be it inside or outside the organization. You know, in the words of Bill Belichick, that wasn't quite what we were looking for. That effort quite wasn't there. What was the effort that everybody wanted to see there on Wednesday night? But about that comment that Brad Stevens made that I alluded to earlier, I found it very interesting after that loss when he stated how earlier in the game, when the team was struggling for the first three quarters, this is a rough quote, he said, all of our shots were coming up short. And that's generally a sign of that fatigue. So could it be? Is that the first sign where we could be seeing that the games are beginning to have an impact on this team? All the games that this team has been playing month this month of March, it's been absolutely crazy. It's just literally night after night, every other night at worst. Still tough to say, but those two games at home where they play with that much more intensity and that much more fire for about a six-week stretch, that fire and intensity, that just didn't seem to be there that back on Sunday against Detroit and definitely not for the first three periods against Miami on Wednesday. So could it be because of now it's just getting a little bit harder to dig deep? Is that gas tank is it starting to get a little low? It's tough to say. I think there there could be some signs. What was good about the Celtics this week was, of course, not just sweeping two New York teams in down in their own gym, but it was how the Celtics responded after both of those bad home losses. Let's go to that Monday night. Brooklyn on a back-to-back. By the way, how many times we said that this year, how impressed we are of this team playing the way they do on the road in back-to-backs, and let alone all the back-to-backs they've been winning recently. Monday night, down there in the Barclays Center, Celts came out with a great effort, pummeling a team that's absolutely breathing down their necks right now. The Brooklyn Nets, who've been playing some really good basketball over this last week and a half, they beat Cleveland back on Friday night themselves. But Boston really came out of the gates, finished the game strong, loved the way they finished. Seemingly playing off that bad Pistons home loss, got a good, solid, complete effort from virtually everyone on the team on both ends of the floor. Evan Turner was actually the guy with a big game. He had the triple-double that night. And Rich Conti, after that game, wrote a real interesting piece on Turner, which is still running right now if you want to check it out on clnsradio.com. Basically posing the question and bringing up some interesting arguments regarding Turner's future here in Boston. 
I don't want to spoil the work Rich did, so like I said, I strongly suggest our listenership to head on over to CLNSRadio.com to give it a quick read. But Turner has had an interesting and, dare we say it, expected season. His inconsistency, that's sort of what drove people and the fans down there in Philadelphia nuts. But at the same time, those flashes, he shows it, and those nights that he does have it, he can give you that complete game. He's sort of that Swiss Army knife. Does everything either good to okay, but there's no real aspect of his game that is truly exceptional. And I think this team, and Coach Stevens in particular, has utilized that to their benefit and minimized any negative output Turner could have, while at the same time maximizing his unique skill set. So i got to give plenty of credit to the coaching staff there. You saw it against Orlando a couple weeks back when he flat-out won a game for the Celts with that huge fourth quarter. And then saw it Monday night in that crucial win to take the season series against Brooklyn. That could be pretty important now that the Celtics do have that tiebreaker. And heck, we even saw it Friday. Notching a good complete box score across the board down there in Madison Square Garden. Had a real nice game, which is again good to see. Also, again, really good to see the Celtics win that as well. Winning a game on the road that they absolutely had to have. But obviously, the real star of the game and what truly made all Celtics players, coaches, executives, and fans breathe a real sigh of relief. Isaiah Thomas seemingly returning to form after looking really uh, rusty, to say the least, back there on Wednesday against Miami in his return game. Big game off the bench, and it's not just the points that he gets, and he had 18 of them on Friday, 18 big ones, but it's when he gets them. They either seem to start a run and build some you know, serious momentum and really ignite a little oomph into this team, or when New York themselves was make, really making a charge of it, as it was weird, the Celtics would get up by 10-ish, and then New York would climb back into it. And it seemed like whenever the Knicks would do that, Thomas would get a key basket or even make a key play that would stem any New York run and prevent them from getting over that ever-elusive hump, which is very important to do when you are a road team protecting a lead. Keeps the crowd definitely out of the game. So... Celtics, they did their job Friday. They took care of business on the road against the Knicks. I've talked about this a lot, the four stages of a team. Celtics picking up two road wins this week against sub-500 teams, although that Brooklyn win was fairly impressive, particularly that it was on a back-to-back against a team that's been playing well. But dropping two real winnable games at home. So looking back on this week, 2-2, two and two, I think any Celtics fan, even the players, I think they should take it because like I've been saying for a while, there's been a lot of games here, not a lot of practice time. There's been a lot of work put in. They're due for some mishaps. They're, they, they're excused from some missteps along the way, like Miami or in even that Detroit game back on Sunday. And they came back after the Detroit game, and they certainly made up for it. They responded Monday night by picking up a real tough win in Brooklyn. Then, of course, they did take care of the Knicks. That was the game that they needed to win. They came out to just simple, solid yeoman's effort. And they control their own destiny for this final playoff spot. And in a way, it's kind of amazing how we're all talking about how these playoffs, and it's almost like a semi-disappointment if they don't make it. And I love it. I love how the expectations have been raised in such a short period of time here. It seems like just yesterday, where it was, ah, as long as these players develop, and then you just go from there. Now it's not just fans, but even Danny Ainge came out the other day and kind of said he expects the team to make the playoffs. And that's good. I think it creates an environment where there's more urgency, which in turn make each and every individual on the team more urgent themselves, naturally. And that will only accelerate their growth as a team and as individuals. This is something I definitely want to get into with our guest, Adam Himmelsbach, Boston Celtics beat reporter for the Boston Globe. Got him here right now. 
Like I said, join the Globe to cover the Celtics back at the end of January, making the move from the Louisville Courier-Journal, where he covered the college game. We got him here, right here, right now. Adam, welcome to Boston, and welcome to Celtics Beat. Hey, thanks for having me on. I got to ask you firsthand, right off the bat, how are you enjoying so far since you've been here these last few months? I know you've been really busy covering the team, and they've been playing a lot of games recently, and we'll get to that, but... You had any chance maybe to venture down to Whitehorse Beach, have some off-the-boat seafood, or maybe play any of our nationally ranked golf courses over these last few weeks? I don't know what golf course you're thinking about, but it, where everywhere I've been, there's been like six feet of snow every place. So that makes uh, it's made life sort of difficult. It's funny, actually, I got to Boston, I think January 24th is the actual day I arrived. And at that point, there have been four and a half inches of snow. And since then, obviously, there's a little bit more than four and a half inches of snow. So a lot of people are blaming me for the disastrous winter, and I'm, I'm okay to take it. But, yeah, to answer your question, I've been traveling a ton with the Celtics. And then when I have been in Boston, it hasn't been conducive to uh, exploring the city. But I'm looking forward to that this spring a little bit. Yeah, I would have thought a couple feet of snow would have not been a good enough excuse. But if you want to take the blame for the snow, you did it. It happened to come on board here at the end of January with the Globe which was right around when the Celtics were on that West Coast trip and got those back-to-back wins in Portland and Denver, breaking that awful streak of not winning out West for nearly two years. That's what really got this 2015 season off the mat. Do you give yourself any credit for that, or do you think where do you think the credit lies? I have heard that one, too. I've heard the two extremes. Some people are saying the winner is all your fault, and then some people are saying, hey, ever since you've got here, this team's played pretty well. To be honest, I think I've had zero effect on either of those things, obviously. But um, in terms of the team playing well, it's certainly, you know, when people are more interested and and there's a little more buzz at the games, it makes things a little more exciting to cover and a little more than I was expecting when I got here when the team was was struggling. It's it's quite a a turn of events I've seen now, even just in these last few days, in the last few weeks, really. It's almost as if the playoffs have become somewhat of an expectation you heard Danny Ainge earlier in the week back on Thursday on 98.5 The Sports Hub. He came out and basically stated that he almost expects the team to make the playoffs and they, that they should win enough games to do so. Is it really productive to put that kind of pressure on these young players that all of a sudden that this was you know a, a season based on improvement is now up the playoffs is an ex- almost an expectation from fans and maybe even members of the uh, organization themselves? Yeah, I don't think the players are viewing it as pressure from outside. It's been interesting to me to see the dynamic shift. When I first arrived, most people I talked to, you know, outside of the organization, the players have wanted to make the playoffs from the start because that's their their competitors. You want to win, you know. Um, in, within the front office, it's tough. It was tough to say early on. I, I wasn't certain when I got here, and the fans, it seemed like more of them wanted the team to lose and get a better draft pick. They're like, listen, this, is, this season isn't going anywhere. What's the point of sliding into eighth somehow with our bad team? Since then, though, there's a different energy. It's not just like, oh, we could slide in eighth. It's, hey, Isaiah Thomas ha- has really brought like a new swagger to this team. Like, Jay Crowder's playing well. Where did this guy come from? Uh, this team is fun to watch. They get along. And it's an exciting brand of basketball. And there's been the shift from – like, hey, maybe they should lose to, like, the majority of people saying, hey, let's win, let's go to the playoffs, let's see what this team can do and, and get that experience. Um, but in terms of the players themselves, I don't think they feel outside pressure. They just they just want to win, and they're excited about it. They're excited about the chance to get into the postseason. I know that. I'm happy that it didn't take that long for you to realize that Boston fans could be quite fickle. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of sports fans everywhere. Uh, I mean, I came from – 
uh, Louisville, I covered Louisville and Kentucky basketball and became pretty familiar. They've had a lot of success winning the last few years, including this one, but, but I've kind of gotten used to the, the swings of fans, but that's what makes it fun, I think. I want to shift gears just a little bit. What have been sort of your observations, particularly over this last week? For me, I've always been a little concerned about all the games in March adding up and how I thought that that was what was going to be the issue that would keep the Celtics out of the playoffs is I think the team was eventually going to wear down. Do you think you've seen any signs of fatigue? Are they there? I thought Brad Stevens' comments the other night after the Miami game, which our listeners can go check out on YouTube.com slash Radio. I thought his comments were interesting when he said that all the shots seem to be coming up short earlier on in the game. Could uh, this crazy month finally be taking its toll on this team? Uh, it's possible, but ultimately, you know, this has been it's been a tough month, but if you match it up against other teams, it's not that different. They may have had like an extra game than some of the teams they're facing. Uh, with Isaiah Thomas in particular, that was evident. You know, his shots were all short, and he was – uh, just out of it in his first game back, and, and you could see that. Um, but he'll be fine moving forward. The big thing coming out of that game was he wasn't hurt. You know, it was more just getting cobwebs off, so I think he'll be okay. And, and Brad Stevens has been very aware of, of this moving forward. Like, they have hardly practiced. Um, you know, they canceled their shoot-around, actually, before the Knicks game on, on Friday because partly, I'm assuming, for that exact reason, kind of keep them off their feet is the way Brad refers to it. Um, and it's made it tough to integrate all these new pieces without practice, but they, they also know that you can't, you can't wear these guys down. You need them fresh for these games. So I think they've done an okay job of that. You any, any other op, general observations over this team over the past week? Have there been any drastic changes now since to when you first got here back at the end of January? Well, they've had bad drastic changes. When I, you know, when I got here, Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the team. Gigi Detone wasn't on the team. Jonas Drebko wasn't on the team. You know, Tayshawn Prince was here. You know, there was, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, Marcus Thornton. There's been a lot of personnel shifts. I think now for the first time or the last few weeks, obviously Isaiah's injury um, put a wrench in that a little bit into the continuity. But now they're they're just really glad they have some continuity. They know this is the team. They have now is going to be the team they have as they make this push, and if they do make the playoffs, this is the team you know that they're going to go out there and fight with, assuming there are um, no more injuries or anything like that. Um, so it, you know, watching them, especially as Isaiah works his way back into the fold, and I think that's going to be the key, it, even as he, he gets healthy, because all of a sudden they went eight games without him, and we're kind of learning to play without him, and they played pretty well without him. You know, they went five and three with a, a couple losses to the Spurs and the Thunder that you, you're probably going to lose even if he is is there. So now it's just a matter of getting him back. Um, being that that key role into that key role that he had before he left, and Brad Stevens talked about that the other day. Actually, he 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 said, "Listen, Isaiah, you know we don't need you to carry us. We just need you to kind of be yourself and and be a piece moving forward. We we and we'll we'll, we'll be successful if we can do that." Yeah, it has been amazing watching this team grow, particularly almost kind of every single individual on the team. I've noticed it seems like everybody has had their moments during this season. Like, I mean, you've had a guy like Phil Pressey have his games or Jarepko have his games or Tahomey have his games, let alone some of the stalwarts on the team that have been there pretty much night in and night out all year, like Avery Bradley. In that sense, I know you were not here at the beginning of the season. And the beginning of the season, just the talk, the goals were just essentially improvement from a team standpoint and even individual standpoint with some of the younger players. Do you think that no matter what happens from here on out, even if the team goes on a, a bit of a losing streak to finish out the season, doesn't make the playoffs, no matter what happens, can we safely label this season a success? 
Yeah, I think given all the, given all the changes and all the kind of uncertainty, I, I think it'll be a good year if if they slug toward the finish and you know whatever lose eight of their last ten games. That's that's going to take a lot of the wind out of the sails for sure. I don't I don't see that happening. I, I think the the big thing is is moving forward, progressing, and and really watching Brad Stevens kind of mature in his second year. He's become uh, obviously, I wasn't here last year, but watching from afar and talking to people around the organization now, these players really lean on him now, and they have confidence in him and, in him and faith in him, and, and it shows. Uh, you know, when he draws up plays during timeouts and crucial situations, and, and they hit those plays, the players notice that sort of thing, and it has an impact on them. And he's really kind of rallied this team, and obviously he's going to be around, you know, presumably for quite a while. So I, I think the growth they've taken under him is really going to be pretty big moving forward. You always hear about organizations talking about putting in culture, and it pretty much starts and almost, I don't want to say starts and ends with the head coach, but it's uh, the majority of it has to do with the head coach. Has that culture that this organization has been talking about, I know I've been talking the part of it, I've done some pieces on it as well. Has that culture that they've wanted to instill, has almost Brad Stevens done it in just this one season? Has he gotten in place, or are there still some steps this team could make? Well, you know, there's always room to grow in that area, but they've obviously shown improvement, and and he's he has guys that he likes. You know, he likes guys that are relentless, guys that work hard, guys that can play multiple positions and and do you know multiple things when called upon, and and, and that's kind of how he's assembling this team. Like he he loves Jay Crowder. I mean, I can't I can't tell you the amount of times after games or at practices where he's gone out of his way to praise Jay because he's kind of the exact guy he he wants. You know, a, a tough gritty physical guy who at six six can go in and defend a power forward if you need and then can go out and, and make a three pointer and is always gonna give like full effort every play down. Um Brad likes those kind of guys and he likes building a team around those kind of guys. So I I think it's kind of taking the shape of, of the identity they're looking for. But of course, you can have five guys who who play really hard and, and give their all, but ultimately you're going to need, if you're going to take that next step, you're going to need a, a superstar, and they obviously do not quite have that yet. Yeah, Jay Crowder, he seems to be like that classic blue guy, almost like a Damari Carroll from Atlanta, or um, Draymond Green out there in Golden State, or you know maybe even like a Bruce Bowen with San Antonio. Obviously, we're, we're naming players on elite teams, championship yeah. teams. <laughs> But I think Crowder is someone who essentially could develop into that. It should sort of be interesting this offseason as he is something there is a little questions about his future for sure. Yeah, I think I think they would like to have him around. There's no question about that. Um, so I, I think they're going to do everything they can to keep, keep him and bring him back for next season. Yeah, but I don't think – obviously I, I think that they probably will bring him back. I think one of the issues will be, if you want to call it an issue, is certainly if that opportunity to acquire said superstar becomes available, that's the move that they're going to take. Although, I, see, where I come down on this is I'm not sure that that player is possibly available this offseason. Yeah, that's going to be the big challenge. I don't think – I don't think yeah. – it's going to be difficult to lure – that top tier free agent to come to Boston right now. Um, you know, there aren't a ton of them going to be on the market to begin with. And, and, you know, the best ones are restricted already. And let's face it, like, yeah, this team's up and coming, but they're still, you know, have a pretty substantial losing record, you know, and, and they have a ways to go. And for a player that wants to go somewhere and win right away, that this is not the place where he's going to win right away. But they're, 
the assets they have, you know, the, the, there's no question they're on an upward trend. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time. And if there probably is ever going to be a way where the Celtics do acquire that game-changing piece, just as they did back in 2007 with Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, it's going to be through a trade. And through a trade, it's usually it's built around one centerpiece, let alone the draft choices. Obviously, back in 07, it was Al Jefferson. This time around, everyone's comparing Jared Sullinger to Al Jefferson, but with what came out in this past week, and really what I've been observing myself for the past few months, obviously the issues with him now. Uh, that certainly puts a dent in his trade value, if he ha- you know, whatever he has. You read that piece from Jackie McMullen earlier this week. Where do you come down on this with him? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't especially revelatory, really. I mean, that's, that's been an issue for him, and he talked about it when, when he was originally hurt. He said, look, I watched film of myself. I don't like the player I saw. I don't like the player I've become. You know, I need to lose weight. Um, the tough part there is, like, let's be honest here. He was watching film of himself before he was hurt, and, that, and he saw that player then, too. You know, I don't think it should necessarily – I don't think it did take or necessarily should have taken that to – be the wake-up call, um, but now people are kind of waiting. I think people are kind of saying, "All right, well, let's see." You know, it's fine to say that, but let's see what kind of changes he makes. Um, let's see how he he develops his game. Let's see how he works on his body when he comes back. And I think that will. The Celtics are obviously going to pay very close attention to that um, to see if he. Because listen, he's a skilled player and he's still really young, and uh, the things he can do, not a ton of guys can do. And I'm not saying they definitely don't want him to come out and be some, like, whatever, 6'8", 180-pound forward or anything like that. There's, there's part of his game that kind of hinges on his heft, you know. But I think there's a, there's a fine line there where he can trim down get, and be able to play a full game and not be winded after running up and down a few times or even worse, like pacing himself. And he said uh, earlier this year in the first quarter, sometimes he wouldn't necessarily give his all because he knew he would need to be fresh in the fourth quarter. And that's, you know, that's not what you want. Yeah, I, I personally think that this is a bigger issue, more so almost, dare I say it, with the organization than it is with Sullinger. Because when you read that piece, it isn't just him coming out saying, oh, I need to lose weight, I was overweight, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what I was most concerned about, Adam, and I more concerned about as a fan, was he just seemed flat out confused in how to lose weight, and he didn't really seem to be getting the best advice. Am I wrong there? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what advice he's getting. I mean, they have people in place. I know they have got a good training staff in place. Uh, you know, they do. Like I said, you know, I saw in the story he's talking about the their post-game spreads. It's usually pretty healthy. But, yeah, it's just sitting there. If you want to grab four plates of it, you can grab four plates of it. But there's a fine line there in, in you know, monitoring a guy and giving him the right foods to eat and helping him make the right choices and, and – you know, in the end, he's an adult. You know, you can't have someone sitting over him over every meal watching, like, hey, Jared, you know, put down that, that second piece of, of food or whatever, you know. Like, in the end, it's going to be a choice he has to make because he's going to be making these decisions on his own. Um, they, I think they do have the stuff in place to help him, and I think they'll be more aware of it now, especially after this injury and hearing the things he has said. I think they'll be more aware of it working with him to try to, try to fix it. But ultimately, it's, it's going to be on Jared. Could you please give us any insight, if you can, uh, on, on as to what is on that healthy spread after games in the locker room? <laughs> it's funny. They actually shift in. I guess it's shift. They, they, on road games even, the Celtics bring their own food to these, these spreads. And I was curious about that, if like the, the, the home team provides it, but they bring it themselves. And I'm sure all the teams do it that way, too. 
Um, you know, it varies. Usually it's kind of the basic health food stuff you'd see, like a lot of grilled chicken breasts, vegetables. You know, there's some pasta. It's kind of the standard, like, basic healthy healthy food lineup, some fruit. <laughs> but then there's, you know, it's all sitting there. It's a huge tray. We go in the locker room after the games. It smells delicious, and we always want to eat some, but we can't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I actually made. I actually had Jackie Mack on the show last week before the piece came out, and I actually made the suggestion that Mr. Sollinger should just be barred from the North End. So I'm not sure that stacking up on a couple plates of pasta is really going to do the trick. <laughs> yeah, the good news is there, there's no, uh, you know, there's no pile, big piles of like uh, cake and chocolate chip cookies in these in these spreads. So they're uh, they're ahead of the game there. I, I guess that's a somewhat positive way to look at I, I I wrote about it today, and I think I'm actually going to get into a little bit after uh, off the show. But Adam Himmelsbach, Boston Globe. You can follow Adam on Twitter, at Adam Himmelsbach. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Adam. Okay, I guess we have to kind of continue where we left off with that. Recently, I've actually touched upon this on recent shows, and I even had a great conversation with fellow Celtics fans and listeners to the show over on the always enjoyable Celtics Nation Italia Facebook page. Uh, thank you, Eric Schmidt and the rest of Google for Google Translate. But it clearly has relevance here, and it's very, very relevant as to what's going on with Jared Solinger and maybe even the Boston Celtics. Is this an actual issue within the organization? Is this possibly something that this organization does not really have a true grasp on? Are they not as cutting edge as other organizations are in terms of achieving the best physical outputs from their athletes, from their players. I mean, back in January, I wrote a feature on not just nutrition and sports and the methods teams and infinitely more education personnel trainers are using for that matter, but also cognitive enhancement methods as well as managing athletes training far more efficiently. You know, I mean, we may have this perception that if you just push yourself and practice, 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 you know, Nike with their fit commercials of people slamming their alarm at five in the morning and putting on their wristbands and going out for some run and, oh, that's so motivating. But how many scientific studies need to come out to say that that's just the wrong way to do it for the average American to get in shape, let alone the professional athlete that has many other rigorous portions of their training program and, of course, playing professional contests as part of their daily lives? It's just not the way to get in shape, and it's just needs to stop. So we have these teams that are using cutting-edge technology, monitoring their players by the heartbeat, literally by the heartbeat. I mean, there are apps out there right now for every American where we can check on our sleep, how our body repaired itself during this critical juncture overnight, or God forbid, if you sleep during the day, and being able to track their own biometric data where teams... Trainers, I mean, they can make the appropriate judgments, and they can even say, like, okay, to achieve optimal physical results and appropriate hormone production, you need to train in this level of heart rate today. So, I mean, it's, it's not just, roar, you know, go out there, run, push, keep going, push, push, practice, makes perfect, Nike, just do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's not, it's stupid. And anybody who adheres to that is a fool, quite frankly. It's, it, it's archaic. And there, it's sadly, there's people that do do this, and that's a lot of Americans. I mean, how many people you see, they just keep exercising and exercising and exercising and just saying, what in God's name heck are you doing? And anyone who does doing that is doing a great disservice to themselves. And they're actually making their health worse, for that matter, as 
science just continues by the day, every day this, that stuff comes out. So, and in this piece as well that I wrote back, I think it was, like was mid-January now, I discussed with many people educated in these types of fields, and they told me flat out that there are some teams that are way ahead of the game here. And those teams have an extreme competitive advantage over the, their opposition who are not taking advantage of these methods. So the Celtics, where do they fall into this? I don't know for sure because I hope it's the case where they are very pragmatic here. Because the Celtics, as I've said so many times, and we all know, you don't need me to tell you this, I mean, they're as cutting edge of an organization as any. You go back to Danny Ainge back in the early 2000s. He was one of the lead figures in bringing analytics into basketball. I don't want to say that he did it, but, I mean, you go back to the hirings of Mike Zarin. Daryl Morey was in the organization for the longest time. And analytics in basketball then wasn't what it is right now. And he was one of the original people to really incorporate it into making personnel decisions. Same thing. Does everybody remember the infamous brain doctor that we all used to make? Not we, because I didn't. But everybody used to make jokes about it 10 years ago. Now, neuroscience, it isn't just revolutionizing sports. It's revolutionizing life. I mean, every single week, there's like five books on the subject that comes out. Every single day. Danny and this organization, they're very progressive. They are literally turning over every single rock for every single advantage they can get. And they're willing to adjust to these new, more effective, inefficient methods and not adhere to that old dogma. But I'm concerned. Are they in this case of nutrition? Because I think with Jared Sullinger and his issues, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it's, I think it's sort of highlighting a possible deficiency in the organization, at least from my opinion, from where I'm standing. As I said, I'm not there every single day. I'm just connecting the dots here. I'm putting a Sherlock Holmes top hat on. I do have questions, especially after reading that piece with Jackie McMullen. It seems that there are nutritional guidelines, but they may be out of place. If anything, they definitely don't seem to be working with Jared Sollinger and and that is, of course, providing that Jared Sollinger is working hand-in-hand with the team. But I went ad nauseum today on this on CLNSRadio.com, my column. He clearly seems confused. He clearly thinks he's doing everything correctly, and he's not seeing the results that he wants to see. And I actually feel bad for him in that aspect. And while many in the media and fans are getting on their high horse and giving Jared all this dietary and exercise advice— when they themselves aren't in reasonable condition and their excuses, oh, well, I'm not making millions of dollars like Jared Sullinger. He has an obligation to be in shape. I don't. I can be, I mean, if that's, if you, unfortunately, may not be that knowledgeable on this issue. And I'm here and I actually feel sorry for Jared because as I wrote today, I'm drawing conclusions here. It, I think he's getting some bad advice. And they're, they're quite frankly, I don't think there's any really way around it. The other day, I did come across a couple of articles that I searched for, and one of them was on Yahoo that was written this past summer, and it was a typical game day meal plan for the Celtics. And let me just say, it should make anyone shudder. I mean, it is that bad. When you look at it, I really don't even know where to start. I mean, for one, let's just start with the most flagrant piece of misinformed guidance of them all, mixing carbohydrates with protein. If anyone does this 
that's listening to the show, please stop like right now. Do not do it when you're eating your meals. You're killing your stomach and your digestive system by doing that. We all should have learned this when we were juniors in high school and we blew up the room when we mixed two or more fluids that had opposite ends of the spectrum of the pH scale. That's exactly what you're doing with carbs and protein. They are incompatible with one another. Carbs digest in our stomach at an alkalizing medium, whereas proteins digest in an acidic medium. It's one thing to mix, say, green lettuce or cruciferous vegetables with your meat because those are vegetables that are neutral on the pH scale, but uh, mixing eggs or dairy with an alkaline pH like fruit, I guess enjoy the food fermenting in your upper stomach and that inevitable trip to the bathroom so your body can alleviate as much waste that built upon it. And, I mean, yes, Sally, this was routinely suggested as a part of the Boston Celtics' quote-unquote healthy meal plan for the day, for a game day, that you need, quote-unquote, a good carbohydrate-to-protein ratio. Where in the world did this come from? I've never heard that before, and for good reason. There's no legitimate science behind it. It's completely made up. It's fabricated. And on and on this goes, as I stated, you, you read this, it's just like a giant facepalm. It's, it's borderline sickening as well. I mean, one of the pregame fuel meals is red sauce pasta with chocolate milk. Yes, sauce pasta with chocolate milk. And I won't even say that again as my stomach is just absolutely turning right now thinking about that, eating that at the same time together. And it doesn't even end there. And this is where it gets really scary as if it hasn't been already. You know what the quote-unquote post-game recovery meal is? A simple protein drink? No. Fish? No. Maybe even some safe starches like a white rice or potato to replenish glycogen stores? Nope. You ready for this? Pizza. Yes. Pizza. Freaking pizza. I mean, are these million-dollar athletes or nine-year-old kids in a YMCA league a post-game pizza meal? You've got to be kidding me. And the suggestion was, oh, instead of pepperoni as a topping, up for chicken. What? I, I, yeah, that's going to make all the difference. I mean, why not just eat elephant dung? And just say, hey, to make it healthy, just put steamed spinach on top, and uh, you're good to go. It's a great source of iron. I, I'm just appalled. I don't know how much this so-called advice is being utilized by the organization, but in these articles and the one that ran on Yahoo, I mean, I'm just sick to my stomach here. You don't have to be a registered dietitian to know just how damaging this is. In fact, it's probably better not to be a quote-unquote registered dietitian. I mean, these so-called experts, I, I don't think they have a clue. I mean, this is really what they're pushing? These Sesame Street diets of cereal and low-fat dairy and mixing sugars with protein and, and post-game pizzas? I mean, registered dietitian, first off, I think that means absolutely zilch. Okay, I have my real estate license. I'm telling you right now, you do not want to listen to a goddamn thing I have to say about real estate. Not a thing. Yet, when I went to Emerson, I didn't take one class in history. I took a few history classes, but it wasn't my major. And I feel like I can, hold, I can hold my own in any discussion regarding ancient Rome with anyone not named Edward Gibbon, Dr. Adrian Goldsworthy, or Thomas Martin, for goodness sake. So these dietary experts are clearly not that, or no matter what pieces of paper they may be hanging on their wall, I hate to say this, it's now even leading me to be that much more fearful. Think about it. What was the primary reason as to why the Celtics only won one championship during those Renaissance years? It was injuries, right? Injuries every single year to key players on the team throughout the roster, whether it was a catastrophic injury that knocked said player out for the year or these nagging injuries that just loomed into the playoffs. But every year, they had players 
suffering from injuries. And now you can say certain injuries were a fluke, Perkins landing on his knee or Garnett, et cetera, whatnot. But I think that five years of evidence where the Celtics had unhealthy bodies throughout their roster almost all the time, I mean, you, I think it's safe to, to connect dots and point fingers there. I mean, I, I want to use Ray Allen as an example. He dealt with nagging injuries seemingly all the time in Boston. I mean, by playoff time, he was always dealing with something. He had a knee contusion during the 2010 NBA Finals. He had the feet issues all throughout 2012. And you can say, ah, well, he was old. But I think you throw that out the window. Because when he went down to Miami, he switched to a paleo diet. Presto, he lost 10 to 15 pounds immediately and had two injury-free seasons in Miami. And if you want to read upon that, I highly suggest a piece that Ken Berger wrote on CBS Sports Online about two years ago. He quoted Ray Allen on that. So like I said, I hope this is a bit of paranoia here on my part. This is my emotional attachment to the Celtics and wanting them to succeed that badly, swaying these opinions here. But I want to see this organization go after every single competitive edge they can get, as that has been one of the primary reasons for success during a time Rick Grossbeck has owned the team with his group, as well as Danny Ainge has been running it. They've been very cutting edge and very pragmatic, and they've never really adhered to old dogmas, be it in managing the personnel of a team or even coaching the team. So I hope that could be the case here. You compare this with the Lakers, who during their years with Kobe and Gasol, they virtually never had any injuries, right? I mean, they never were losing guys. And they had never had players with weight issues that the Celtics had, that say with Rasheed Wallace with Glenn Davis, and now with Jared Sullinger, three guys with weight issues, and say, oh, well, that's all their fault. I mean, in a way, yes, but in a way, no. I mean, teams can get involved in this, and like I said, the Lakers never had issues with players with weight issues, and during their glory years with Kobe and Gasol, the Lakers were using that paleo diet and nutritional advice from Dr. Kate Shanahan, who pushed high-fat diets with protein from healthy grass-fed animals, equipped with other healing foods like bone broth, which comes packed with minerals that heal the body. You know, something that fruit and cereal and pastas and bagels, they do not. And God forbid post-game pizzas, for goodness sake. I mean, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't get over that. A post-game pizza, I mean, that's unreal. I mean, yeah, great, great source of carbs and protein. I mean, they mix so well together. You never have bathroom trips 45 minutes after your burrito or or your pizzas. Yeah, your steak and eggs. Just throw that out the window. Don't eat that. That's going to clog your arteries or whatever. Get your carbs from cardboard pizza crusts or high-quality protein from processed table cheese. Not not healthy animals. Unbelievable. Yeah, pizza at night before these players go to sleep. Pizza before bed. A proven dietary method for weight loss. Ugh. We'll be back soon. Maybe some uh, stuff that may make us feel better. You're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by lynda.com. lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash CLNS.
Welcome back into Celtics Beat, presented by Peak Organic Brewing Company and Lynda.com. Just heard a great free trial you can sign up for. Once again, Lynda.com slash CLNS. But we're going to get back into the Celtics here. First, I actually got to correct myself. How could I forget Andrew Bynum with his weight issues and injury issues? But I guess it's easy since he's never been able to figure it out anywhere, let alone Los Angeles. That guy never really cared about basketball. So he doesn't count. He doesn't count in my argument. But, yes, hey, this the Celtics, this is it. Judgment week, in my opinion. Game tonight, and not just any game. Obviously, Doc Rivers is in town. You know, remember Doc Rivers, that former coach of the Celtics, won a championship in 2008, finals in 2010, Eastern Conference finals in 2012. Nearly a decade here, many good years in Boston. But what was once a game that was circled on the calendar at the beginning of the year, and not just the Doc Rivers reunion, but one of the best, most exciting teams in the NBA, the Los Angeles Clippers are in town. Once again, 6 o'clock tonight at the TD Garden, post-game show on CLNS Radio immediately following the game, or you can download iDemand, iTunes, Stitcher, just like this show. Obviously, though, very tough game because of the Clippers' size and, of course, how good the Clippers are. But DeAndre Jordan, we discussed this with former Celtic and current Clippers color man Michael Smith back on our show in January. He's having a true breakout season for the Clips as he's now really an elite center who's doing it on both ends of the floor for Los Angeles. You're not just throwing down the occasional highlight reel dunk or with big blocks, but, you know, hey, he's conveniently having far and away his career season during a, um, a contract year, but he should certainly be a challenge for the Celtics' front line tonight. There's no doubt about it. He actually came here a few years ago and tore the Celtics apart. I think it was like 2011 that season, the infamous year they traded Perkins. And after his big game, that's when everyone just sort of started to go nuts about that trade. But anyways, back about the game tonight. Him along with that other guy up front, a man who finished third in the NBA's MVP voting last season, Blake Griffin. He was out for some time with an injury, but he's back now. He's healthy. He's not just one of the game's elite players, but arguably it's most exciting. And that size alone, that's really something where they can exploit the Celts up front. And I haven't even mentioned that Chris Paul guy, you know, someone who's been the best point guard in the NBA the last seven or eight years up until this season when Russell Westbrook took that mantle. But he's one of the game's greats, a surefire certified Hall of Famer. And yeah, the Clippers, they have him too. So it's going to be a challenge to say the very least, which is good. We like that. 6 o'clock tonight, TD Garden once again. Another good game to go down to the city to check out. Hey, uh, 6 o'clock, got to love those starts on the weekends. You're out of there at 8.30. I don't think anything beats Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, in my opinion. Hey, I'm old school there, but I like the early the early evening relaxing 6 o'clock games. Good team in town. Great team in town. The Clippers, great players. Should be a good one, and that's really going to kick off what could, like I said, this is it. This is judgment week. For the Boston Celtics, they're home tonight at the Garden to face a Western Conference powerhouse. And then the real fun begins. They're at Charlotte tomorrow night, Monday. They come back here Wednesday and Friday for two huge games with major playoff implications. First, home against the Indiana Pacers with a chance to not only pick up another crucial win against the foe they're jockeying for that eighth position for, but to win the season series and get the tiebreaker against the Pacers should have come down to that as well as the Milwaukee Bucks, who Boston, while there's distance now and not much time left in the year, the Celtics, can, there's still a chance they can catch them. They've got two games left against the Bucks, and whoever wins these two games would win the season series, and thus the tiebreaker as well. So to say the Garden isn't going to be hosting some critical contest this week, it's going to be very, very interesting. The Celtics do complete the week in a real tough spot. Yet another back-to-back, this time up in Toronto on a Saturday night. So this week has is bookend 
with some real tough foes. Two of the best teams in the NBA and the Clippers were here tonight. And then you travel up to Toronto to complete the week this coming Saturday. But sandwiched between that are crucial, crucial games. Could very well be the deciding factor in whether this team can grab that eighth position or not. As stated, not just beating these teams, and the Celtics have virtually identical records with them in the standings, but the tiebreakers as well, in that it counts essentially as two games in the standings here. These games against Charlotte, Indiana, uh, Milwaukee even. So it's starting with Charlotte tomorrow night which is a Monday night, obviously an interesting spot to play an NBA basketball game. It's obviously first for the Celtics, not the best spot, as it's a back-to-back in Charlotte's arena. Boston did beat Charlotte the last time they played. However, Charlotte's beaten the Celtics twice earlier in the season, so if the Hornets grab that game tomorrow night at home, they got the tiebreaker once again, too. That size, Al Jefferson, he's given the Celtics fits, not just this season, but last year as well with the Hornets. I mean, he's actually had some really big games with the Hornets against the Celtics these last two years. And Boston has really struggled with the Hornets under Brad Stevens. You look at their one win this season against them. I mean, they needed everything they had against Charlotte in that game back in February. The home crowd really got behind them. Jonas Jarepko had a huge night. They needed a pretty big comeback. That game Monday night, tomorrow, that's a big one. I mean, they're all big. Indiana here Wednesday. Boston's gotten to them twice this year, and they have a chance to win that season series at home. Indiana is scuffling a little bit since they were riding that hot streak a couple weeks ago, which Boston actually ended. Will Paul George be back? Who knows? That's been the big question seemingly forever. Either way, that game, that game's at home. You want to see this Boston Celtics team get especially, especially with these home losses and how well the team was playing at home for a good stretch there. I mean, with the Clippers here tonight, and that may be a tougher game to win. You don't want to see these Celts losing any more than three in a row at home, for sure, no matter who they're playing. So no matter what happens tonight, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, that's one you really hope the Celtics get. I mean, you, you hope that they win them all, but of course, here on Celtics Beat, we're looking at the big picture. You got five games this week, five games and seven nights. That's a lot of basketball. And quite frankly, I'm calling it here right now. I'd say two wins would be a successful week. That'd be more than sufficient, particularly if those two wins are the home games on Wednesday and Friday. I mean, a real benefit would be to find a way to win Monday down in Charlotte on the back-to-back, tie up the season series, and get a little distance between you and the Hornets. And then, of course, anything after that, in my opinion, is a total bonus, such as tonight, as well as the Toronto game on Saturday. But it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. And no one said it'd be easy particularly when you are the Celtics team that was in such a unique spot for so much of the season due to the long-term outlook of the franchise and all the roster turmoil and on and on and on. I mean, they got in a hole, and now they've raised the bar for everyone involved, be it the fans and the organization, which is such a credit to these players and the coaching staff. But the bar has been raised, and we love it. But the 2014-15 Boston Celtics want to get to where they want to get to, and that is, yes, the NBA playoffs and basketball here at the end of April and the beginning of May. We're going to have to find a way to dig deep. There's no question that this is an uphill battle with all the teams they're dealing with, with the fact that they've exerted so much energy here in the month of March with all these games now, and it's just continuing to add up. You've got five more games this week in seven days. They'll need everything they can get. There's no question about it, but hey, to the fans, the people listening to this show, Celtics fans, basketball fans at Boston, NBA fans in general, right? I know there's obviously some non-Celtics fans that listen here. Enjoy it. You got relevant competitive basketball at the end of March and in April here in Boston. Who thought we'd be saying that before the season, let alone mid-January? So you got to love it. Just 
soak it all in. And to the players, I wish them the best of luck and fortune. And may offer one suggestion. Maybe uh, ease up on the post-game pizzas. All right, let's, let's not go there again. Back in 15 seconds with Around the NBA in 5 after station identification. This is Jeff Kane, and thank you for listening to CNLS Radio, powered by Lynda.com, Peak Organic Brewing Company, and most importantly, you, our loyal listeners. Patriots Nation and NFL fans, you know free agency is upon us. CLNS Radio will have you covered with our online content on CLNSRadio.com as well as on the Patriots Beat podcast, available for download every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't let your head spin out of control. Get the NFL coverage and Patriots coverage you need right here on CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Okay, let's do this around the NBA in five, starting with Kevin Durant out for the season. We talked about this last week. The news that came out this week sort of just confirmed it. We all thought he'd be out for the year once we got the news from last week. Now it's official. He's out four to six months. Third foot surgery. Like I said, touched upon it last week. How about talking about it from this angle? If you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, do you trade Kevin Durant next season? We all know Sam Presti's the kind of guy who could explore that option considering he traded James Harden for a bag of basketballs. But if you're any team, how about this? Do you actually explore the trade? And since this is a Boston Celtics show, if you're Danny Ainge, do you offer up your treasure trove of assets? It's actually a very interesting discussion because it very well could be feasible in the sense that maybe Oklahoma City does not want to lose Durant for nothing, which, if you listen to last week's show, I think is about a 50-50 possibility here. So... If you are the Celtics or you are any team, do you explore this option? And do you offer the absolute farm? And it is going to take the farm and really roll the dice in having the guy for a year and maybe being able to convince him to sign with your team instead of going back home to play Washington, D.C. or to go take that Lakers money in 2016. Something to keep an eye on. I think there is going to be talk about that this summer. In the example that I used last week regarding the Thunder was that mid-1990s Orlando Magic team that everybody was ready to proclaim a dynasty around 1995. And Shaquille O'Neal was just inducted into the Orlando Magic's Hall of Fame. We can make a lot of jokes about that, but we won't. And the news came out on Friday or Thursday that he quote-unquote regrets leaving Orlando. Maybe I kind of misquoted a little bit. He might have regretted the process a little bit more because I don't think that he has much regret over how things transpired for him. He certainly fulfilled his Hall of Fame career, and he did win those three championships out there in Los Angeles. But it was actually, I still look at that that infamous decision for him to leave that Magic team in 1996. And you still look at that and you say, what would have happened down there in Orlando? Because it wasn't like a situation of Chris Paul leaving New Orleans or Dwight Howard, these guys leaving bad teams. Orlando was unquestionably a dynasty in the making down there. And what would have happened with Shaq in Orlando? How many championships would they would have won? What would have happened to Penny Hardaway's career? We all remember how exciting Anthony Hardaway is. He was everybody's favorite player as a kid growing up. Me personally, I loved Shaq growing up. I was devastated when he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers that summer. That with the Orlando team, that was a very fun team to watch. But alas, it was very brief. It came undone very quickly. He went to Los Angeles. Needed a few seasons for Kobe to develop into a superstar. But once Kobe got to his level, and the Lakers, uh, they were they etched themselves into history. They were one of the game's greatest teams of all time. There's no question about it, no matter what you say. 
Shift a little gears a little bit. Derek Rose says he's pain-free and eyes return to the playoffs. I mean, it, it's it's sad. We are talking about Penny Hardaway and the injuries that he had, and he just sort of kept missing season after season. Could never get back to that level he was. He just missed too much time. And that's sort of the case with Derek Rose. I, he just he, He's just missing so much time in the sense that how is he ever going to regain that rhythm that he once had as a basketball player? I think, sadly, Rose is becoming that guy. He is becoming this generation's Anthony Hardaway. And it's just highly doubtful. And I was even saying at the beginning of the season when everyone's like, oh, Derek Rose is coming back for Chicago. Watch out for that Chicago Bulls team. They're a contender. I was saying, geez, you know, I mean, Derek Rose has to, A, prove that he can stay healthy. And, B, prove that he can get back into the rhythm that he was at, say, four years ago now. I mean, it's been a while since Derek Rose has been Derek Rose. And I don't want to go on a nutritional rant again. Enough of that. But we all know Derrick Rose's little Skittles diet. I don't think that helps the cause. But enough of that. We are not going there the rest of the show. I promise you. Atlanta Hawks. It's done. It's official. They are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They have clinched that spot. The only real battle is they're a few games behind Golden State for the number one overall seed in the NBA Finals should they get there. Story of the season. No question about it. Everyone's saying, oh, should we build our team like the Atlanta Hawks? It's like they're the new model. They almost sort of accidentally built that team because they, remember Sean Devaney was on the show. They were going after that superstar as soon as just a few summers ago, but they held on to guys. They were shopping Al Horford. No one really bit this summer. And here they are. They got this great team going forward. And it should absolutely make up for a truly exciting Eastern Conference playoff race, particularly in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to be Cleveland and Atlanta. And I'm. it's sort of the old Pacers uh, Heat or Pistons Cavaliers when LeBron's first go around in the team versus the individual. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. There's no question about it. But that's going to do it for around the NBA in five. Before we go, we have to pass on our condolences. We've been doing this recently on a lot of shows. But Hot Rod Huntley, the famous voice of the Utah Jazz, also former Laker great. You remember he actually called Frank Selvey and prank called him for so many years as he missed that shot against the Celtics in the 1962 NBA Finals, I believe, that shot on the baseline. But legendary NBA voice, legendary NBA player, passed away at the age of 80. And I speak for all of us here at CLNS Radio who pass along condolences to his family. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Ostra Vex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That's facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also give us a little check out on Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. I'd like to thank our guest, Adam Himmelsbach of the Boston Globe. Great maiden voyage on Celtics Beat. Looking to have you on the show once again. like to thank our sponsors, Lynda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company. For our staff writer, Patrick Tomlinson, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you this Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.